sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and measures. <laughs> he said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Read your Bible is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Haig. With me, of course, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? What up? So it's I get this little, I think I have post-traumatic stress. Every time I hear the recording of our intro where it says weights and measures. Yeah. Because I got hammered on saying measures. Yeah. But I know when Lois just posted, she likes to hear that. I know it's genuine. That's from a good place. So I'll, <laughs> I'm healing. I'm well, healing. Speaking of Lois, because I figure that I should number twenty three, baby. You know, people, number twenty three. Pe- she's pe- she's got a. People, you know how like some. Yeah, she's got a number. Numbers. She's the only one yeah. that has a number. Yeah. Um, check this out. Um, so we got these. These are magnets now. It's uh, the tor- the Torah Resource logo for those who can't who are listening and can't for see this. For refrigerator near you. That for a refrigerator for near refrigerator you. I'm going to stick this bam right there, and then because of Lois, she requested this and I made it happen. Now normally we don't you know we don't Not take requests, all requests like this. Are but check this out. Boom! New Robin Caleb show stickers. What? For those who can't see, uh, who aren't able to see this, it says the Robin Caleb show. Where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. The Department of Redundancy Department. That's right. The uh, well, we are stressing. We are, we'll, we'll we are talk about that. Stressful. We'll talk about that motto uh, in a little bit. We got a lot yeah, to talk about today. I don't like, a lot of good things to talk stressful. about. Check this out. I got before we get started into anything else. Actually, since we're on the since we're on the topic of of you know what is this merchandise stickers? By the way, Lois, you got a couple of these coming in the mail to you. I'll send you a couple of these. Um, so, uh, here's what's going to happen for the next two weeks. Uh, anyone listening, uh, by the way, for, I suppose this is, this show is airing on January 11th, 2017. So if you're watching this on YouTube much later then this is probably done with, but, uh, for two weeks now until the first of February, February, we will be accepting, uh, suggestions on Robin Caleb show shirts. Uh, and then we are going to produce. We're not Is sure if we're going to like design or yeah, text des- or just de- any any kind text of text or design or whatever. And uh, then we're going to produce. We're not sure if we're going to produce just a limited amount. And like you're going to have to, you'll have like a window 36. to buy. Them. Well, uh, <laughs> we'll have like a limited amount, and you can buy them. And then uh, then no one will ever be able to buy them again. Or if we're just going to make it like an official shirt of the Robin Caleb Show that you can always you can always buy. Um, here's what we could do. Tell me that, you know how, like, uh, now I'm Pacific Northwest. So Seattle Seahawks, we have the 12th man. It's the Jersey number 12. So any fan is a number 12. So we have our 36 
like the first 36 people to order shirt get like we write a number on it. Oh, nice. It's 23. Man. But then everyone after that, it's you're just number 30. You're listener 37. Check this out. So <laughs> check, check this out. Are you ready for this? Michael had the idea. So he already came up with uh, with with one idea. Have like a jersey that says number 36 on it. Oh, right. Yeah. He just put that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so if you would like to make suggestions uh, for uh, the the first official Rob and Caleb show shirt, please do so by sending – it can just be text. You could create a design and send it to us, whatever. We will take all into – Draw a picture. Draw a picture. Pic- yeah, take, take a pic- picture. Post a picture. Send it to us, whatever. You can send those to chegg at torresource.com. That's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. Okay. Um, I should also say, let's get all this out of, well, let's do this first. Uh, the Robin Caleb show is brought to you by, uh, torresource.com. That's right. Torresource.com. Go find all sorts of great commentaries, lectures, um, audio lectures, video lectures, you name it. Or you can take, uh, take classes at Torah Resource Institute, um, and get your learning on. You can also call the Torah Resource Radio hotline. It goes straight to message. And so you don't have to talk to any of us. Tell us how much you love us, hate us, uh, do whatever. And that number is 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you again. It's 253-465-3205. And I got to say, some great, yeah. We, yeah, we've had some great really good messages. Man. This uh, PJ sent in a message that was excellent. It was it was really I've listened to it I like five times now. I did too. I did too. So PJ just so you know, is he in today? Uh, he's not in today. Doesn't look I, like. I took notes. Just if you're listening later. Oh, he is. He is. There's. P- yeah, he's in. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um. So good. And one of Peter. Oh, well, let's just bounce off that. One of Peter's suggestions in his uh, in his message on the on the hotline was that we should in uh, that we should somehow index the show and then make it available so people can search. Well, guess what? I've actually been indexing the show since the first show. So I have it all indexed. And I have it all uh, by keyword and topic and everything, and uh, I even have sound clips uh, uh, cataloged in in the uh, in the show notes. And so, what I'm currently working on within the probably the next two months or so, we're going to make a full catalog on the Robin Caleb Show page on TorahResource.com, and you will be able to then go and put into the search bar. It'll only sh- search the Robin Caleb Show show in in that specific search bar at least that's what we're trying to figure out you'll be able to put in topics or uh, names or whatever and it'll show you all the different shows that we've talked about those those issues okay so uh look look for that soon it's to be honest with you it's it's a lot of work because uh i'm gonna have to actually make 156 posts which isn't going to take. It'll probably take me two days, but I got to make sure that everything's uh, everything's right first. I got to kind of listen to some of them to make sure that I, I'm, you know, some of them are very vague because in the, back in the day I didn't think it was going to need to be cataloged. I thought we were going to do this like I think <laughs> okay, we were going to have like no five doubt. shows. <laughs> you know, we just yeah. God is good. He's patient with us. He's long suffering. Yeah, no doubt. You know, and uh, big shout out to the King of Kings. Oh, no doubt. The, that we can do this, that we can do this and be a blessing. And I know we take stands, right? We're we're not really worried. You know, I know we get some of that email. That's why we're, we're so grateful for the encouraging words. We've had more encouragement this week and yeah. last week than I think we have in the past year 
combined. Uh, been a lot every every day now. I'm getting emails from people. It's been really really great. I uh, got my uh, jets in the mail today, and I know Rob hasn't gotten it. Maybe I'll just run down I, yeah. a couple of these. Well, it's probably out there. So listen to some of these. By the way, if you don't know what Jets is, Jets is, it's the Journal of the Evangelical Theological Society, which both Rob and I are members of, and uh, we enjoy going to the annual meetings of the ETS every single year, and we talk about it every single year. So uh, this is to keep some of our regular listeners up to date on kind of what's going on at, with uh, the ETS. They just put out their quarterly, uh, and the Jets magazine is, is uh, it's not a magazine, the journal is usually a couple hundred pages, and uh, it's it has different articles from people. And book reviews. And book back. reviews, yeah. So there is a book review. I haven't even looked at what the book review is. This is volume 59, number four. Uh, some of the interesting-looking articles in here, How Your Greek New Testament is Changing, A Simple Introduction to the coherent Coherence-Based uh, Genealogical Method by Peter, Peter Gurry. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff on the book of Hebrews in here this this uh, this quarter. Uh, Christology in Hebrews 1, 5 through 14, the three stages of Christ's existence. Um, then who is speaking the use of Isaiah 8, 17 through 18 in Hebrews 2, 13 as a case study for applying the speech of key Old Testament figures to Christ. And then finding a home for the letter to the Hebrews. Sounds interesting. One that looks like uh, I will not be reading it. I don't know why they would even include this. The strongest arguments for universalism in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. Maybe he's refuting it. I don't know. I don't know why you put that in there. Anyway, looks interesting. Maybe we'll read a couple of those and uh, talk about them next next week. Here's, here's something that I just want to point out. Why, you know, the Jets. We talk about Jets. We're also members of SBL. Yeah. So that's um, hang on that oh that reminds me Society of, of Biblical Literature there you so go. it's another uh, now the Journal of Evangelical Theological Society is a faith based organization whereas the Society of Biblical Literature and American Academy of Religion is not it's just academic yeah but we do this because we want to engage with broader scholarship we 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 want to be aware of stovepiping, right? Stovepiping is when you have this group of people that only listen to themselves. And over time, they kind of, their ideas interbreed, <laughs> right? And they, they're they not uh, connected with research that's going in a, in a different area that would help them refine their, uh, their thinking. And so we're believers in uh, recognizing the dangers of that stovepiping and therefore deliberately engaging with ideas that are similar to our own and even different than our own for the sake of refining our own ability to articulate where we're coming from. And that's really important. Um, so that's why, you know, you can, it doesn't mean you're going to agree with every article, uh, you know, that we read here. Um, but it gives you that mirror. It gives you something. If you disagree, why do you disagree? If your gut goes, ah, if you have a half goes off moment, like I, you know, lose my temper or whatever, <laughs> it's like, okay, why is that happening? And going, what is it? And, and that forces us to be better and better at communicating what we want to get across. That's important. It is very important. So uh, one of the other things that Peter said in his message, I, you know, it, it was a five and a half minute message. I would have played it on air, but uh, it was just, it was more uh, suggestions to us for how to make the show better. And I think every single one of his suggestions were spot on. They were really, really good. So 
one of his suggestions were, you know, when you're talking about stuff, uh, a lot of the time people don't, you know, people haven't been listening the whole time. Maybe you have a first time listener or maybe, you know, people haven't caught on quite yet. And so you'll mention stuff and we don't really know what you're talking about. Like he gave an example like, uh, like flat earth, you know, like he said, I don't even know what flat earth is or, you know, why it would be important. Uh, so this is, this is good. This is a great comment. I was thinking that any time that Rob was talking, instead of interrupting him and being like, give some background, he, and, you know, Peter even said, like, you know, at the beginning of a, of a uh, sitcom or something, they'll be like, last time on Bo- last time on the Robin Caleb show, and then, you know, they'll recap for 30 seconds. And I, uh, I thought, well, how are we going to do, like, a rundown of, of uh, you know, a topic if Rob's, you know, halfway in the – so I was thinking about holding up a piece of paper, which I might do. And then just to show how janky this uh, podcast actually is and how low budget we are, I decided to make a little uh, little jingle here for if we want to uh, do a rundown. See show rundown. <laughs> nice harmony. Thanks, man. I do what I can. Did that what did did your digital harmonizer do that for you? No. Or did you actually nail that? I nailed it. You nailed that chord? Dude, wow. I have a horrible voice. I can admit that, but I have almost perfect pitch. Yeah, wow. Just what I do. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, actually, what you were just talking about, let's talk about that for a few seconds. Last week, we talked about this video that went out. It's uh, Hebrew in 3D or something like that. And this gentleman uh, is fully on board and convinced that um, uh, Paleo Hebrew holds you know, the, the secret meanings of the scriptures, something that Rob and I uh, strongly object to. Um, so uh, the next day, two, maybe two days after that, this uh, somebody in my news feed posted something, and it was that video. And they were saying, oh, this video is so great. It's such a blessing. It's so wonderful, blah, blah, blah. And I tried to just gently say, well, I think that this is actually foolishness. I don't think that it's, you know, I think this is nonsense. Uh, this person, obviously, her name was Victoria. She, she was very gracious and kind, actually, but she uh, she was not too happy with me saying that. Uh, so I posted a uh, our video, the, just that 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 clip of us talking about that uh, in in the message part, so that she could because she asked me, you know, what was wrong with it, blah blah blah. So she wrote back and she said this. She said, "Okay, I unfortunately could not finish watching the video. That's our video. The haughty, proud, and arrogant attitude was too much for me to bear. I don't know your background. You seem very learned, but Scripture tells us that we are to be meek, humble, and gracious." And unfortunately, your spirit is far from any of those traits mentioned in our Bible. I can understand that you utterly disagree with what is being said. It is funny to me that a few days before my post, you had discussed it on your show. But your message comes across buffed up. That's, that's sick. That's, that's literal. Buffed up. And for someone coming out of Christianity after she, 30 years. Does she mean puffed up? I think she meant puffed up, but yeah. Uh, after 30 years is very hurtful and demeaning the way you express yourself. Okay, I understand that uh, this could certainly be the way that uh, it comes across. I think that actually what was coming across that she was picking up in that video is actually frustration. Um, and I'll give an example. Actually, Flat Earth is a perfect example. And let's uh, let's do a rundown for, for everyone who might not know what, what Flat Earth is. Uh, so Flat Earth is the moronic idea by some that uh, the Earth is not a, a globe, that it's actually right. a pancake, uh, a pancake, and that uh, the stars and the planets and everything are actually much closer to us 
And that uh, the reason that they believe this is actually because of some of the places in the Bible where it says things like they will come from the four corners of the earth. Uh, so basically they're saying, and what this all boils down to, I'm going to try to put this in 30 seconds, what this all boils down to is that it's a big conspiracy to these people who believe in flat earth. It's a big conspiracy that uh, all these people thought that the world was a globe, and then when they, they finally got up there, they realized it was flat and they don't want to tell anybody. That's what it comes down to. Um, for people like myself, and I think most of the people in the Messianic movement and Hebrew Roots movement, uh, people who believe in this, and Rob Skiba has now become the champion of flat Earth, uh, the flat Earth theory or, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, pe- most people like myself think that this is such a moronic idea and so outlandish. And so it's not even biblical. They say it is, but it's not. Um, that it's just ridiculous. It's not even worth discussing. Not only that, but something like the flat earth theory, what does it do for salvation? Let's pretend for a few seconds. Okay. Now I don't really want to talk a lot about flat earth because it's just so ridiculous, but let's pretend for a few seconds that we give Rob Skiba his, his, his point. Let's say, let's pretend that, that, uh, the earth is flat, that it is a pancake, that Rob Skiba is totally right, even though he's not. What does that do for our salvation? What does that do for our faith? What does it do for our Bible study? Nothing. The answer is nothing. It doesn't do anything. All he is doing with, uh, with the flat earth theory is dividing believers. And this is why I think it's a direct assault from, from uh, the evil one. It's, it, and, and so for those of us who uh, think that it's just such a ridiculous idea and that it's so stupid to even talk about, it, it's a lot of frustration for us when, when uh, we run into people who are flat earthers. Well, the same kind of thing happens, I think, for Rob and myself when we're talking about things like Paleo-Hebrew. It's so obvious that the the evidence is, I mean, I don't even know how to start this. It's so obvious that that the Canaanite language that morphed eventually into things like Paleo-Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew, Aramaic, uh, the, the Semitic languages as a whole, the Canaanite language that, language that all these came from were already an ABCdery. In other words, they were already an alphabet. They still they, at that point they were still not uh, a pictographic language. As far back as we discern, can see, we have to discern between. Are we? Uh, is this our new topic now? I because, I mean, <laughs> but the language, yeah, the language issue is we have to discern that from script. Language and script are two separate things. What I'm trying to say, and I'll let you keep going, but what I'm, what the whole point of this is, is to say that I don't think that while I, I understand that a lot of people say that we are arrogant or haughty, it's not arrogance. It's that people unwillingly, a lot of the time, mm. are leading other people to falsehood because they they haven't done their their work. They haven't we, studied. Okay, right. we need to. I know we didn't plan on this. Like the, the the quotes I have from Glenn Beck. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where are they? They're in the Dropbox. I put them in there. Okay. Well, while we do that, while we listen— uh, is This it the- is actually—this would be a good—since if we're going to talk about this, because it's the nature of a closed system that went uncorrected, like okay. largely uncorrected. Okay. And, let's and- let's listen real quick first to—because I have uh, Edward uh, left us a message on our hotline. Okay, okay. And I'd like to listen to that first, and then we'll listen to your Glenn Beck, because this all ties together. Okay, so here's— one of the messages that we got this week uh, on our uh, Torah Resource Radio hotline, and you can call that hotline as well. Hi, Robin Caleb. This is Edward from uh, Grants Pass, Oregon. I just wanted to comment on this week's show. 
um, at uh, about 2450 when you guys were talking about whether or not um, these guys were snake oil salesmen. Um, I, I agree with you, Caleb, uh, as far as I, I don't see these people as being uh, as intentionally doing it. You know, the, the, the old uh, saying that um, came to my mind when you guys were talking about it was, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. That's kind of how I, how I see it. It's like, but I agree with you. These people, they do come in. I was one of those people. I came in full-hearted. I mean, I laid everything on the table. I repented before the Lord. I emptied my vessel, and I just wanted him to fill it. And I, I started, get, you know, seeing things. And my, my, my whole deal was the Ten Commandments. I mean, who follows that? And so that led me into the Shabbat, but... Immediately, I fell into like Michael Rood and one nineteen. Actually, I thought was really good until until later. But okay, so I'm going to stop it there. And the, so basically, his point is well taken. Edward's point is well taken. And this is exactly my point. What you have I, is that's my same story. I have a similar story. Yeah. To Edward, the time where it's like you have a passion for this, you're excited, and but you don't have any discernment, right? Because this is the thing: discernment is only developed and cultivated over the long haul, only through persevering faith. You don't, but faith is a gift. You get that instantaneously. You believe, but discernment is, is something that's cultivated and developed. Amen. Um, Yeah. So just like wisdom and understanding, those, those don't come immediately. What you hear from me and Rob, especially on things like Paleo Hebrew, the et symbol, flat earth, these things, it's not haughtiness, it's frustration that this kind of thing, even though the evidence is so overwhelming against these things, that these things are still being peddled and accepted. Good, faith, faithful, God-fearing, Bible-believing brothers and sisters in the Lord are falling prey to nonsense theology. It's not haughtiness, it's frustration that we want you, I want these people to not buy into it. I want the teachers who are teaching this stuff to realize this is not, this is not, you know, and one of the, one of the uh, people in this thread that I was in said, well, what's the harm? So what? Well, the harm is, is that you start to, and we talked about this last week, the harm is, is that you start to uh, use bad hermeneutics and all of a sudden you can make the Bible say whatever you want. It sounds good in the beginning, but then what? Okay, let's play this thing by Glenn Beck. Okay, let me give some context. Tell tell us what's going on here. There's a couple clips here. Some are back. Now, this is not because I want to get political. The context here is uh, Glenn Beck was promoting a certain presidential candidate back in, you know, last spring in the U.S. And he's in Utah, but he's preaching to Mormons. And he's talking about the Book of Mormon while he's preaching to Mormons about this particular presidential candidate that ended up not winning. Then I saw I grabbed a clip that we'll hear at the end. So this is a series of clips. The first cluster of clips are from last March, I think, March 2016, and then one from just this week in an interview this week when he's being asked about, you know, what he was preaching last spring versus the reality now. And uh I just there were some key things I wanted to to just point out. And when I think of Mormonism, I'm thinking of a system that went largely unchecked from the scholarly perspective. I know there was uh, brawls and there was people fighting with each other um, in the early, you know, Joseph Smith getting shot and all this kind of stuff in the in the mid 1800s or whenever that was 1840s, I think. But uh, largely what what 
I, I, this is a call, and I and I think that going unchecked, these Paleo Hebrew things and uh, different kinds of little subcultures of messianism are going to become their own religion. They're going to become so stovepiped. And Caleb, you shared this when you you were talking about Facebook, discovering these whole groups of people that are out there, and they're all uh, hardwired for this Paleo Hebrew. Uh, pictograph meanings of, of the text and all this stuff. And they're, they're totally sold into it. And it's reminds me of early Mormonism, but uh, so, so with that in the background, go ahead and, and then I will have you pause every once in a while. So the first few clips, March, 2016, promoting a, a pres presidential candidate that ended up not, not winning. Let me testify to you now. The Book of Mormon is a book that was given to us for this time in this land. And it explains exactly what it's going to look like when trouble comes. And I don't know about you, but I can put new names against old names in the stories, and it all works. Okay. Stop. 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 Pause it right there. Thanks, Gil. Okay, so he's preaching to more. He's in Utah preaching to Mormons. And what's he saying? That the Book of Mormon is a gift to us Mormons for today. So that means he's, a, he's saying that the Book of Mormon was for, for the time they were living in right there, and that all you had to do is change the, some of the names of the main characters to the characters that are in the political landscape in America today, and it all makes sense, right? That's what he's doing. So the Book of Mormon is his text, it was supposedly written, you know, in his idea thousands of years ago. He changed the names, uh, but the rest of the stories, and it tells about today. That's his. That's where he's coming from, and the people are cheering him on. Okay, can, go ahead and continue. Here's what I'm saying to you. The reason why I'm bringing this up, and I've been wanting to say this for a very long time. Where the hell are the priesthood holders? Where are you? Thank you. It's time. Take pause. It's time to so, stand up. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what time it is, time, 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 and it's all right now. It's all prophesied right now. Here, here, one side question, one footnote. How what big time is, is now? it? It's time for lunch. What time is Okay, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> How big is now? When we say the scriptures apply to our day, does that mean the political events of like 2016 and the elect, or is it now a 10-year period is now a 100-year period, or is now, like, right now when I have a breath, because I don't have a guaranteed breath, you know, I don't can't guarantee uh, that I'm even going to be, you know, how big is the moment that everything speaks to, you know? Um, but now when he talks about priesthood, he's talking about the Mormon hierarchy that has, has evolved over the last 150, 200 years. Um, you know what time it is, right? So he's motivating his audience— who already take the Book of Mormon, which is craziness, but they take it as revealed Word of God. Sure. Now, mind you, this is a text that it's totally different. Like, <laughs> there's no like original text we can go compare. You just it's like you have to take our word for it, kind of thing, you know. Um, but anyway, people, you know, millions of Americans believe this. Okay, so wait, hang on, wait, wait, wait. You just said something oh, interesting. You know what? The, the the interesting thing about that is is that with the Paleo Hebrew. There's really not any biblical text that you can go back to the Paleo Hebrew and compare and see. Right. 
It's the same thing. You just have to take people's words for it. I mean, there are. Don't get me wrong. There are certain things that are in Paleo Hebrew. But correct me if I'm wrong here, Rob, because I could be wrong on this. Am I right to think that there's no actual biblical text that we have in Paleo Hebrew? No, we have Dead Sea Scrolls, and we have some inscriptions. Yeah, but the Dead Sea Scrolls, they they attempted to. Well, we have inscriptions, but the inscriptions aren't bi- biblical, <clears throat> right? right? Well, the the Herbet Chinom is is close to the Birchat Kohanim, close to the priestly blessing. It's a little silver amulet thing. Yeah, but, but they were they were but, attempting to make it look old. Okay, so with the granted with the Dead Sea Scrolls, just because we have, like you know, ex, you know fragments of Exodus or Leviticus written in Paleo Hebrew, does uh, pale, written in a, a the, an old Hebrew font, does not mean continuity that that was copied from a text that had Paleo Hebrew. Just like today, I could take the Masoretic text copy it and then paste it in a new font font uh, you know that is the script paleo hebrew that i'm still looking at a masoretic text sure. <laughs> you know it, it just i've just changed the the faces okay so let's keep going with glenn back okay, i'm yeah. sorry i'm sorry i was i was okay, rabbit, so what we're gonna see here it's gonna the, the tone of the recording that recording was pulled off a youtube video it's kind of a hard to hear another one here is a better recording still from march of 2016 where he's talking about his belief that God has anointed this particular person. Go ahead. Priesthood is supposed to rise up and restore the Constitution. Now is that time. Period. The Book of Mormon trusts in you. <laughs> right there. Now, I guess we're not to the other recording. No, we should, we so- should ISO that. The yeah. Book of Mormon, Mormon trusts trust in, you. in you. Okay, just if if that's all, if that's the only clip you heard, <laughs> yeah, if that's the only clip you heard, is that, like, imagine someone, the Holy Bible, trusts in you. I mean, you're never going to hear such nonsense. This person is so, they're so caught up in dreamland in a stovepiped reality in other words a reality that has gone uncontested because no sure. one shook it up He's, yeah. he hasn't had anybody shake it up yet the storms haven't come go ahead play continue on. you will see these times and you will run to the truth i come to you today to give you this message utah has an incredible opportunity. So many Christians have been standing up, but all throughout the South, the evangelicals are not listening to their God. Let us raise a standard in Utah. Let us do this one thing perfectly right. Okay, enough of that. Here's here's the new stuff. Well, this, sorry, when I say new, it's a new recording. Uh, but it's still March uh, of 2016. One thing perfectly right. Oops. I have seen this man's life. I have watched this man. I have prayed about this man. He's talking about Trump now, right? I have no, prayed he's about talking it. about uh, Joseph Smith. Cruz. No, Ted Cruz. Oh, I Ted Cruz. Cruz. Yeah, yeah. Okay, hang on. Let me roll this back just a little bit. So he's talking now about Ted Cruz. Okay. Yeah, because this is March 2016. Gotcha. Okay, okay. 
I have prayed about this man. I have prayed about it by myself, out loud, in quiet, with my family, with my staff. And I happen to believe that Ted Cruz actually was anointed for this time. Never said he was anointed by God to okay. be president. Okay, so now the new is the, I never said, is the, like, this week, 2017. Okay. Never said he was anointed by God to be president of the United States. I do believe that people are called, all of us are. You're called for your job. I'm called for my job. Right. All of us are called for a specific time. That doesn't mean that he's the only one that can do it. It doesn't mean any of that. And it certainly doesn't mean that God's going to make that happen. We have to all play our roles. All of us are called by God to do certain things. And sometimes those things mean just take a stand. It doesn't mean that what you think is going to work out is worked out. Just right. you're called for this time. I happen to believe that all of us were called at this time to take a stand in the republic and to do the right thing. Hmm. Okay, I can't so, speak so for listen. God. Oh, that last bit. I can't speak for God. Okay, hang on just a sec. Oh. Let's roll it back. Here you go. I can't speak for I can't speak for God. Um, I, I don't know. Here's the the message that I would get. Anyway, so the point is here. So he changes anointed, which he used back last March to called, and whereas last March it was an, one person was anointed by God for a certain time. Now he's saying, well, we're all everybody's called. So he he abandons the idea anointed, and he uses the word called now, and it's everybody, not just one person. Yeah. Well, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish no, your thought. I'm just, I'm just saying this is an, this is, I want to take this as a warning. This is like, this is, should be scary in that for people who are in prophesying end times, we see it again and again and again and again. End time prophecy and how people get riled up. I saw yeah. it with Michael Rood, Michael Rood in the late 90s. You know, whoa, you know, audiences getting, whoa, whoa, look at all these things he's showing, that these connections. And uh, Y2K, you know, and, uh, um, and then the Paleo-Hebrew, oh, and all this kind of stuff. I see the same kind of things happening. People getting wrapped up in this thing, and that's where Mormonism came from. Mormonism came from a, a, a whoa kind of sensationalist thing that went unchecked. Well, and, and that's, that's interesting. For the people who would say that we're being arrogant or haughty towards certain things like this, they don't seem to have a problem when we talk against things like Mormonism because they think that Mormonism is nonsense too. Where, they, where, they're, where they're getting arrogant or haughty is when we're speaking against things that they believe in. That's where the offense comes. Look, our, our motto on The Robin Caleb Show is this. The Robin Caleb Show is where, uh, where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. It's sandwiched. Why? Why theology? Why does theology matter? Because it informs everything that we believe about the scriptures, about the Lord, about Yeshua. And that, in turn, will, will uh, reflect into the way that we live our lives unto God. So theology is extremely important. We we base our lives and the way that we live our lives on our theology. So theology certainly matters. Scholarship counts, and this goes back to something that somebody said in the, in the chat room. I think it was Philip. Scholarship counts because if what what Rob's talking about stovepiping, 
if you get into this mindset, if nothing's ever challenged, if you never look at the way that, you know, the right way to do things, that's like saying, why would it matter if, if a person knows how to lay a foundation on a house? Just build your house without the foundation. It doesn't matter. If you're not going to do things the right way in scholarship, if you're not going to look at the original sources, if you're not going to, you know, be honest with the original sources and really, uh, you know, learn how to uh, to navigate through the original languages and, and uh, these kind of things, taking a, a good hermeneutic and a good interpretation of the scriptures, guess what? You don't have a foundation. You're just building a house without a foundation. And pretty soon— here's And here's another side to this. The person who learns these, they jump onto this Paleo-Hebrew bandwagon, let's say, or this uh, Hebrew word pictures, and they start selling books and all that. Those people are perceived as being sincere. It's assumed that they're sincere, they're kind, they're being honest, and they're, they're bringing the truth. When in fact, it could be argued that those are the people that are being totally audacious and um, presumptuous and arrogant because what they've done is they've put themselves in a position of being a teacher when in fact they haven't demonstrated being a student. They haven't been a good student. So who's the one being presumptuous? Well, and just like, just like who who was his name? Uh, Kevin or no. Uh, Anyway, uh, the person that, uh, that left our, our message, Edward, I'm sorry, Edward, um, Edward said, you know, I came in, I, I'd emptied myself. I was ready to be filled by the Lord. And that's right when the wolves got him, that's huh? Exactly. And that's, that's right where when the, the wolves, because you have a vulnerable little lamb there, a little cute you lamb. Oh, okay. I, I think, <laughs> I think that we've, I think that we've, uh, we've talked about this enough anyway. Uh, you know, for the people who might just be getting introduced to the Robin Caleb show and whatnot, our goal is not to come out and bash a bunch of people, even though that's what it seems like. What we do in this show is we look at various, uh, uh, theologies and various, uh, scholarly things. And we try to hold them up to our motto, which is that scholarship counts and that theology matters. And so we come at things from a, a grammatical, a historical grammatical interpretation, and so we look at things through that lens and see if, if they hold you know up. How, you know how, like, the motion picture industry has ratings? Yeah. Like, G, general, PPG, parental guidance, R, restricted. If, if theologian, if the world of theology and the discussions of, you know, anything religious had ratings, what would we be rated? And what, what would the ratings be? And what would we be rated? Okay, that's one for the chat room. Let's move on. Uh, here we go. So should we even, I, I mean, we open them. I think I feel like now we're opening the mailbag every single week. Should we actually open the mailbag? What do you think, Rob? <laughs> do we have mail? We do. We have lots of mail. Mail time. Mail time. Okay. Uh, this from uh, someone who wrote in uh, two weeks ago. We read their uh, their email last week and we responded to it. This has to do with food offered to idols, which we talked about last week. You can go back that show 155 for anybody who's interested. He says, well, I'm glad you guys went into more detail on the food offered to idols issue. However, after listening to the brand new sh- episode, I am somehow even more puzzled. My problem is the crux of the matter consists of identifying the stopping point at which the, ki- the kind of food you are willing to eat would inhibit your ability to socialize with others. There are ultra-Orthodox who shun the OU standard of kosher because they are so in- insular, even though the actual halakha 
is undoubtedly covered by that standard. Carites do not have a problem mixing meat and milk. Personally, I veer slightly rabbinic in my understanding of food and think that, at minimum, milk and mammalian, mammalian meat should not be eaten in the same sitting. And, preferably, one waits until digestion of one is through before eating the other. Now, I'm going to stop right there real quick because I just want to say this. Okay, I don't think that there's a problem with you holding to personal halakha like that until it gets in the way of you sitting down with other people to eat. If your Christian brother and sister wants to take you out and uh, they're going to take you to a place that doesn't separate milk and meat like you're talking about here, there's nowhere in the Bible that where it says that. And I know that people, the Orthodox will go to, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. This is nonsense. And I, and I think that it's been proven uh, by various scholars that this is a nonsensical, uh, it's eisegesis, not exegesis. They, they're putting a commandment into the text instead of taking one out. You have to go to the rabbis to be able to get that out of the text. And so if you're going to take this as your own personal— And then you have, you have this Jewish group judging that Jewish group for not doing something that's not clearly in the text— yeah, exactly. And that's that's the difficulty. That's, that's one of the difficulties. So the the point is, is that if you're not going to sit down at, at a table fellowship with a brother or sister in the Lord because they're they're not uh, holding to your uh, standard of halakha, this is this is exactly what I think uh, the scriptures speak against. I'm going to keep going here with this email. On the other hand, like the non-Orthodox, I do not think kosher wines have any actual relevance in idolatry in this day and age. And only drink Kedem because I like it. Kedem, for those who might not know, Kedem is uh, the kosher wine. What they do is they they actually boil it. They boil the wine to, to kosher it. Um, and for, for some reason, the, the rabbis think that this is... Uh, uh, this makes the wine now pure from the the, the, de- the gentile demonic spirits that are have in left, the wine. Yeah. <laughs> they they can't handle the, anything above two hundred twelve degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Oh, I'm just on, on the other. He goes on. On the other hand, le- oh, I, I'm sorry, I already read that. Kind of my, okay. However, the mm-hmm. excruciating problem I face is what's the standard anyway? What's the legislating authority we can count on to make redeemed Israel stand with one accord? The Jerusalem Assembly of Yaakov and the 70 is long gone. This is a great question. And the the answer to this is, is there's only one authority, and that is the Torah, the Bible. You can have tradition within your own uh, within your own communities, and I think that that's the way that God set it up, right? In the Torah, he sets it up like that. Moses is the ultimate judge if you have problems that are too big for your local, you know, and it keeps going down. The idea that somehow we have this governing body of, of, of uh, you know, the Talmud and the Mishnah and all these things is, is nonsense. It's ridiculous. Um, the Torah. And honestly, if, if uh, your community halakha, which is not biblical but extra biblical, gets in the way of sitting down with other believers, then that should be thrown out. He goes on, and this is this is the part that uh, that uh, Rob wanted to address. This person goes on. The problem is once this degree of personal subjectivity is introduced toward your judgment of what to eat and what not to eat, the door is wide open to full fledged antinomianism, especially because most ordinary people have better things to do than deal with these problems. And so, it isn't too surprising that the second century Gentile churches abandoned Torah because Paul did say things which led. Uh, led you right into Ignatius and Antioch, and far more, unfortunately, Marcion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the, my point is this. 
we can him and ha over what what the church has done wrong and what the church has done right and all these kind of things. The point is is that if my brother and sister in the Lord, even if you know honestly, even if they're going to be eating things like and this has happened, okay, I, I, let me let's go down story time. Let's have story time here. Um, my in my wife has a sister who is married to a person I grew up with uh, my my entire life, and uh, my, our families have been family friends since I was born. Uh, the father of this family went to seminary with my dad. They were in the same classes together. They graduated together. Uh, they were both top of the top of the class. They were the two top uh, top of the class at the seminary that, that my father went to. Uh, so, so I see this. Uh, we'll call him. I don't know. We'll call him John for now, even though that's not his name. I see John from from time to time. Obviously, now at, at family functions because uh, we'll get together for different things. Well. John is a theologian. He's been through seminary and whatnot, and he's a, a strong believer. Guess what? He doesn't keep kosher. He thinks that uh, that's all been done away with, that, that Christ nailed that all to the, to the cross. Not long ago, we went to, uh, to a function, and he had brought uh, bacon-wrapped chicken wings. Now, am I not going to sit down at the table with him because he brought ba- bacon-wrapped chicken wings? No. I sat down with him. He's my brother in the Lord. I can talk to him about these things and tell him why I think they're wrong. I'm not going to eat the bacon-wrapped chicken wings because that goes against my conscience. But I'm not going to say, no, this is on the table. I can't sit down and eat with you. I think this is one of the the issues going on with the food offered to idols in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. Paul's saying, don't let this stuff get in the way. This is nonsense. You know, you need to have fellowship with your brother first. If it goes against Torah, don't do it. But I think Paul's really saying, look, there's nothing that says that you can't, you can't, I can go to the market that has the Buddha sitting there and, and yeah, they might've said an incantation over all this food, but I'm, that, that is a demon. It's nothing compared to, you know, my God is what matters. And I didn't take part in the idolatry worship, uh, that, that took place to, to, uh, to bless this food. Anything else to add to that? There, well, two points on the email you read, which is a very thoughtful email. Appreciated it. Is uh, one is a fear of ant. There was like a, a phrase, something like "door wide open for anti antinomianism." Uh, so I wanted to. I, I just had a thought about that. And the other one is a, a comment about the second century church abandoning the Torah. Uh, so those are two key kind of anchors. Uh, at least in my hearing of, of that email, that I, I think are worthy of, uh, of uh, a comment, or they've at least evoked a thought for me. On the antinomianism, the fear of, of you know, a door being wide open because of a subjective reading, um, the kind of the, the model for understanding the function of the Torah, in my view, what that sounds like is external... Uh, and the threats of, of the Torah that are motivating the heart of the, of, of the individual. Um, my understanding of, of being a new creation in Messiah is that I, my heart's core purpose is Abba Father, right? Is, is um, seeking the things of God first and foremost, seeking to please him and seeking to be obedient, that that's the core 
uh, orientation and, and my understanding of, of, of my own life and my study of the scriptures, etc. And so the fear of antinomianism to me does not apply to a, a new creation person in the long run. They might it now it might be that someone who's born from above genuinely is under a, a false teacher for a time. But we've talked elsewhere what I call the, the law of inevitable discovery. Um, if someone learns about Shabbat, for example, uh, by a teacher who's also teaching flat earth, um, and they latch on to the Shabbat and they find it over and over again in the scripture and they, they start actually uh, desiring to walk more and more in the Shabbat and mm-hmm. uh, in their lifestyle. Sure. Uh, but now they have this flat earth thing that they might also latch on to because they're, they're new, right? They're new, they're naive, they don't have the discernment. Um, and But my, I believe that the genuine disciple of Yeshua will eventually sort out and grow in discernment and say, okay, this but not that, right? And so I don't think... I think that applies to this fear of of becoming a person who doesn't even you know throw says the law is done away with. Um, now this that ties into this second point about the early church abandoning the Torah. The model that Yeshua gives is different than that. That's not a historical timeline that Yeshua prophesy. That the historical map that Yeshua spoke would happen is that his followers would be increasingly excluded. And and this is even Lawrence Schiffman, who's a Orthodox, you know, Jew who's also an academic. He does a lot of uh, writing and he presents at SBL all the time. Um, he argues in his book, who, who Was a Jew? He says that the, the early Jewish believers in Yeshua were halakhically excluded. In other words, the rabbi slowly developed a, a halakhic system that was more and more unappealing and naturally excluded anyone who believed in Yeshua. And so, uh, and who was in power? The, 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 you know, at this time, the followers in Yeshua were marginalized. They did not have a lot of, uh, pol- they didn't have political power. They were just small networks of families and, and individuals. Um, and so, and little and synagogue communities. So we have to understand that there's a lot of historical things going on. Um, it's not so simple now where we can read this text and this text from the second century, like the Epistle of Barnabas or something, and we draw a line and say, and see, here's the path of antinomianism that the church took. What in fact we do have is we have to recognize that it, on the ground, it's, it's probably much, much more complex than that. We have... Um, Communities undergoing trauma. Um, you have teachers that are being maybe hauled off and put to death. So now you have, uh, you know, fledging communities that have living faith, but they do not have the the leisure or the resources that we have now to compare scripture with scripture and to you know, it's just a completely different world. So, in my view, it's unfair. Uh, we can there there have been some unfair. Uh, picture, you know, uh, characterizations of how the early church became anti-Torah. Um, I, I understand why people are pointing that out, and I think there are, I'm not telling people not to, to investigate it. I'm just saying, I think we need to be a little more patient and uh, a little more kind 
in assuming the best of those disciples from every generation who are true disciples of Yeshua, doing the best they can, given the limited resources, traumatic uh, community experience. Um, I think God, I believe he's faithful. and uh, No doubt. Yeah, and, and so and the surviving texts only give us a, a fragment of the story. And we know, just like with this whole Glenn Beck thing, we see how people's imagination can take a text and run with it and and build entirely uh, fortified worlds, kingdoms. I mean, you think of like the Mormon world in America today, and and um, you know this is this shows the power of the of people's belief in a story. The story can be totally false, but people will believe it. And so, anyway, that I probably said too okay. much, but those are just some thoughts that come up on that. Let's move on. I want to. Uh, well, let's see here. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Um, okay, let's do this. Um, somebody who is now in our chat room, actually, uh, has asked to be blessed on the show. We're going to talk about our new halakha and how you can ask to be blessed on the show. Uh, we obviously don't, well, anyway, yeah, uh, <laughs> this is all in good fun. Uh, anyway, here you go. Uh, so this is for one of our new 36 listeners. We would like to welcome Andrew Ter Gregorian from Bowling Green, Kentucky to the Robin Caleb Show. Listening audience, you are now one of the 36 coolest people on earth. Please consider yourself blessed. You've been blessed. Okay, so Rob and I talked about this this week. Uh, we've wait a minute, just... wait a minute. Andrew Ter Gregorian. Yes. If I'm not mistaken... The Greek Gregoreo is to be watchful. I am watchful or vigilant. So um, he's our wa- maybe he's a watchman. There you go. He's um, a notesayer. Yeah. So uh, what what we've de- what Rob and I have decided now is this: uh, we're going to make a new rule. If you would like to be mentioned on the show, welcomed. If you want to receive a blessing. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. So if you the want question to re- for the question for the 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 Talmud. The question for Talmud <laughs> is. Who receives the blessing and why? Okay. Well, the answer is this. You have to call from now on. You have to call the hotline. I'll give you the number here again in a few seconds. You have to call the hotline. You have to give us your full name, first and last name, where you're listening from, and why you like the Rob and Caleb show. That's what you got to do. And then we'll. So, any, it has to be all of these, right? First and last name, where you're listening from. And why you like the Robin Caleb show. So you can receive the blessing even if you're not <laughs> on in the chat room. Yes. Right? Yes. So what we've done is we've we've uh, we've made a discernment. And this goes all the way back to Moshe at Sinai. <laughs> See, Mo- oh, Moses knew no. Moses knew this, but we hadn't oh. we, it hadn't occurred to us yet because our vessels are smaller. We don't we can't hold as much Torah. So Oh wow. But but through through you know somebody's going to listen to this and think that we're serious. We're not serious. So I mean it, we are serious. You got to come. We thought originally we thought in order to receive the blessing <laughs> you had to actually be in the chat room. Yes. That was the but what um another authority came along and said wait a minute there's another tradition that I heard from my teacher and and then they gave it to us, and we have to accept it because these and these are the words of, of truth. And so, there you go. 
There you go. There, there are two paths. Yes. Okay. So, so, so those who would like to call and uh, leave a message, do so by calling 253-465-3205. That's 253-465-3205. Okay. Let's move on. We, you know, we still haven't gotten to our main topic. I, I think it's hilarious that I was scared that we weren't going to have enough material today. Uh, this uh, question came in. Shalom, Caleb. My name is Jeremy, and I would like to, uh, like your response to this question. Can you keep the commandments of yod Hey vav Hey thanks Now, I did a little follow-up with Jeremy on this. Um, someone has told him that perhaps if you can't take uh, keep the whole Torah, for instance, things like uh, the sacrifices, uh, other things, you know, or if you can't keep it all, why keep why keep any of it? Um, this is uh, this is a uh, I I don't know who would make this argument, but it, it's not a, a solid argument. And the reason why is this: uh, Why do any of it? Uh, you know, if you're if you get married and uh, at some point uh, after you're married you're going to uh, lust after another woman, then why even uh, then why even be faithful to your wife? That's the same kind of logic. It's horrible logic. And the reason that the Messiah had to come and die for us is because no one can keep the Torah fully, right? Uh, no one, no one is perfect. Uh, only the Almighty Himself, uh, Yeshua, is 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 uh, perfect, and therefore this is how we have a perfect sacrifice. Um, the answer is is that we keep the we don't keep the Torah because to become justified. We are justified by God. It is He who justifies us. He loved us first. I saw a meme the other day. It said uh, Calvinism wrapped up. Uh, I love God because He first loved me, and this is this is exactly right. God first loved us. He justified us. Okay, and then once justified, our hearts are changed. Our hearts are changed by the Ruach Hakodesh, the Holy Spirit. Once our hearts are changed, we want to do, to please God. We want to be sanctified unto Him. We want to please Him, right? And how is this done? It's very easy. God tells us specifically, "Be holy, for I am holy." And then He tells us exactly what being holy is, and He does that by giving us the Torah, by giving us the marriage contract. We keep the Torah because we love Him. Can we keep it perfectly? No, of course not. Anyone who tells you that they can keep the Torah perfectly is selling something. Um, it's, it just doesn't work like that. But uh, because, because the Holy One is gracious and loving, he has, we can see the true unabashed love that God has for us. We can see what love truly is. And we can see this through the fact that he gave his only son, Yeshua, because we can't keep the covenant. We can't keep his Torah perfectly. But he loved us enough, nonetheless, to send his son, to make it so that through his son, we are looked at as righteous. If this isn't mind-blowing, I don't know what is. I mean, I don't, this is why I, the, the Hebrew Roots movement, the Messianic movement, the whole tickling of ears thing is so annoying to me. You don't need uh, your ears tickled. If, if this is not enough for you, if the if the uh, the spotless love of the Almighty God in giving His Son to to pay for the sins of the elect is not enough, uh, then I, then nothing is. You will constantly be looking to get your ears tickled. Anything else on that? Well, I was. I'm glad you brought in the word justified because you know we know from Paul's letters and we know from even the 4QMT, the Halakhic letter which was we had multiple copies of from Qumran, so we know that it was a text that uh, was studied um, and was formative for 
the for members of the yachad, if you were, you know, going to be a member of the yachad, that to be reckoned, literally to be reckoned as righteous, and that's the language um, of Genesis fifteen six, for example, right? And it was reckoned to him tzedakah, righteousness. Abraham believing that is was. In, you had to. You weren't reckoned, and it's chashav, the Hebrew word chashav, um, reckoned as righteous unless you did the maaseh haTorah, unless you had shown yourself to be doing these maaseh Torah, these works of the law, and the lists that that the halakhic letter provides. So this is a you know two thousand year old document. It's in Hebrew, collected you know from the among the Dead Sea Scrolls. It. It was a, a, a. It's not just. It's not talking about you shall keep this Shabbat. It's, it's. <laughs> what do you got? I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I right. pulled a Rob. Robert in the chat room says flat Earth is clearly not a well-rounded <laughs> worldview. It's filled with circular reasoning. <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry. Hey, keep going. Foot, no, that's all right. I want a footnote on Bobby there. If you look at the UN, the United Nations logo, the symbol, is. It's a circle, and in oh. the middle of the circle is the North Pole, and it's all – I think they know. I think they're flaunting. The U.N. is flaunting. They know it's a flat Earth. They, th- this is case. absolutely what flat Earth is saying. I'm sorry. This is this, – I, I should not have gotten us on this. Keep going. Wait, wait, let me, let me, okay, let me finish my other one. Finish it, finish, back and to, then we'll move on to our main we, topic. See, we can do that. This is like a Talmudic sugya. See, we can, <laughs> we, can, we can do this. We can step aside for a moment, talk about something different, and then come back. That righteousness being – reckoned to somebody by the community as a result of their uh, performance or their adherence to a code of commandments that is built on, in many ways, the biblical text, but expanding upon it. And that's the world that Paul was talking about when he's talking about dikaiosune, you know, what does it mean to be reckoned as, as righteous? It's by faith. That's the truth. It's not by works. You're, you're, now, genuine faith produces good works, right? Genuine faith produces obedience. That's a core. No one's going to dispute that. Um, now, when you get into different evangelical circles, they will dispute the nature of what does God's law look like for the believer, so the person who's born from above. Uh, and they will, we do get into different disagreements there and we need, those are conversations we should be ready to have anyway. Okay. So that's, I, I'm just bringing that back. Okay. I, I, I have to read this from Gary in the chat room. Uh, Gary puts, uh, uh, uh in your, uh, if a merchant asked, a merchant asked Abram Avino, blessed by he, uh, from blessed, whence, blessed, he. Okay. blessed by he, from whence comes a blessing from R and C. Abram, in the name of Noah, said, Adam once named an animal a monkey, and another an ape. Both loved bananas, and we know how slippery these are. Peals of thunder echoed, and we first heard, Welcome, New 36. You are blessed. Spokani Talmud Bologna 36A. Hey, so we, collect, we are collecting. That's that's actually one of the earliest fragments we have. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, of, of the Talmud the Bologna. Okay. Um, no. Should, okay. should we move on to the main topic finally? We've been we've been gabbing well, for we, an hour here. Show, we're gonna have to punt. It's already an hour. Nah, it's okay. This is fine. This won't be. This won't take too long. Okay. 
Um, so let's see if this. If, there's been a new. Uh, there's been a new theory that's come out. We'll talk about the the history of this a little bit. Let's first read some of the news clippings that I found on this. Fox News actually says this. Uh, quote. Now I'm quoting. This is in your show notes. By the way, you can go see it. Quote, the oldest recorded alphabet may be Hebrew, according to a controversial new study by archaeologist and ancient inscription specialist Douglas Petrovich. Israelites in Egypt took 22 ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs and turned them into the Hebrew alphabet over 3,800 years ago. I, I love how they just make that fact. Okay, Breaking Israel News says, close to the same thing, they say, after years of intense study... Dr. Douglas Petrovich has gathered sufficient evidence to claim that the ancient Israelites took Egyptian hieroglyphs and transformed it into a writing system of 22 alphabetic letters, which correspond to the widely recognized Hebrew alphabet used today. Archaeologist, epigrapher, and professor of ancient Egyptian studies at Wilfrid Laurier, Laurier University in Waterloo, Canada, Dr. Petrovich used Hebrew and the Bible to translate inscriptions found on 18 ancient stone slabs. His findings have truly rocked Bible critics to the core. Um, uh, this seems specifically wow. to me like, uh, like uh, I, I don't know, they, they, this is... Uh, uh, amazing you know they're they're trying to shock people or i don't know what they're trying to do here but uh this is not the way that that uh, we heard this come about i first met dr petrovich uh down in san diego when we were down there what three years ago uh so that would have been 2013 2014 for the ets the evangelical theological society when he was presenting on something else rob and i both saw dr petrovich present on this two years ago in atlanta uh, he presented this specific topic at the Evangelical Theological Society in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we were not convinced then. Uh, however, I also am not a Egyptologist, nor is is uh, Rob. So uh, we wanted to be very careful. In fact, uh, we were going to talk about this last week, but uh, we felt like we needed to, to to really study some of what was going on here. Because uh, although Dr. Petrovich uh, is seen by many within the archaeological and Egyptology circles as somewhat being on the fringe, he has always kind of tried to find things in, at least from what I've seen in the past three years, he's tried to find things that are, uh, that are uh, well, I think every scholar to some point tries to do this, tries to find things that other scholars have missed. So I think that, uh, that Petrovich is somewhat uh, trying to, Say you know, find something. Oh, I found this that no that nobody else found, and isn't this amazing? Kind of a thing. Um, so it seems from these uh, news clippings that this is uh, this is obviously a uh, a great discovery. Uh, there are a couple of things that I would like to note first, and then I'm going to throw this over to Rob because Rob, being the uh, the the Hebrew expert here, is going to be able to inform us maybe a little bit better. Uh, the several things that I wanted to, to point out. Petrovich did not discover these inscriptions. Okay, These inscriptions were, had been discovered over 100 years ago. The inscriptions are called this, oh, and you can probably help me out with this. Uh, I don't, I don't uh, speak Egyptian. So, Serebit el Kadam. Is that somewhat right? Kedem, probably. Kedem. And yeah. Wadi el Hol have been known and worked on uh, work has been done on them since uh, before, uh, right around the, uh, the 1900s, so like 1906, I think was the first thing that was published on these inscriptions. Uh, the second thing I'd like to point out, Petrovich is not the first person to come up with this theory. 
And uh, as Dr. Rolston recently wrote, and I will quote him here, uh, he says, quote, there is nothing all that new about Petrovich's proposal. After all, more than 90 years ago, H. Grimm wrote a volume entitled Alther Bechel in Sekriften vom Sinai. I'm probably butchering that, Hanover, 1923, in which he argued that the inscriptions from Serebit el Kadem were Hebrew. Grimm can all, almost be forgiven because he wrote before the discovery of Ugaritic, almost. But even then, his views didn't find many takers as he was manipulating the evidence to the point that his proposal had more twists and turns than a dirt road in a Tennessee holler. End quote. Um, and the last thing that I'd like to point out about this theory by Petrovich, which I personally, I don't buy. I don't, I don't think he's correct in this, but um, I'm, once again, I'm not an Egyptologist, so maybe uh, Rob can shed more light on this. But um, one of the things that I, I do think is interesting for those who do believe in, pe in the Paleo-Hebrew script, if you believe in Paleo-Hebrew meaning, if you've been posting Petrovich's theory on your Facebook page or whatever, uh, this should be a, a huge problem for you because what Petrovich is saying is that even when the hieroglyphs of Egypt were around in, uh, you know, were word pictures, Hebrew was not. That's what he's saying, that, that the Hebrews never had a, a Hebrew word picture association with their language. This is exactly what Petrovich is saying. Right. In other words, to translate what Caleb's point is. For example, and you'd have to watch his video. There's one video that which is he, in the show notes. It's all in the show in notes. The show no okay, he he points to three particular inscriptions that he says feature the name of a biblical character. Uh, one is Asenath, uh, Joseph's wife, uh, Asenath. So he dates that inscription to the I think the 18th century BC, some, maybe 17th or 18th, um, and then he he. Uh, has another two inscriptions that he dates, I think, to 15th century B.C., still in the same uh, type of script, that he says one refers to Moshe, Moses, and another to Ahisamach. And Ahisamach is um, the father of one of the uh, craftsmen who worked on the, the vessels for the tabernacle. Um, and what Caleb is pointing out here is that Petrovich is reading, let's just forget all his claims, all these inscriptions, no matter, even though there's disputes about dating them, it seems like most scholars put them into the 18th century BC, but the one that says, that presumably says Moshe wouldn't fit that far back, because you can't put Moshe that far back, so he dates it sooner. Uh, but that, that aside, Petrovich is consistently uh, coming from a position that it's this is a kind of alphabetic use of these characters. In other words, it's not man, house, uh, hand, eye, with some sort of secret message now, like we heard with the word shalom. Oh, it's a, it's teeth, you know, mem is water or chaos, you know, that's just so nonsensical. So, so if you were pushing this this group that we heard last week and all excited about Hebrew word pictures and the secret meanings of Hebrew words, and you're also excited about Petrovich, you still have uh, some time before you're going to be able to grow and discernment enough to see that, that you can't hold both those simultaneously. Yeah. 
Now, we're not even talking about the truth aspect of this yet. We're just talking about on a surface level. Here we have Petrovich is reading this, what we would say alphabetically. That in other words, even though it's using a, the little guy for the hay, you know, the little dude with his hands up, that the argument is that, yes, indeed, that was – there are hieroglyphs of little guys going like this, right, with their hands up. Um, but the, the Asiatic or Canaanite or whatever you want to call it in the, in the Sinai mines uh, in 18th, 18th century B.C., when you had these slaves working in the mines, when they engraved this, those, those people were not literate in Egyptian. They probably saw the sign, and they used it for their own purposes, and they, they communicated things about, probably wrote their own names, and they probably wrote the name of Baalat, which is one that occurs a lot, Baalat, which is a, uh, like a Canaanite feminine goddess, deity kind of thing. Um, but what Petrovich wants to do, he wants to take that and map biblical stories and demand. He's he's saying that look, this is there's actually biblical stories here intersecting with the archaeological record, and that's where you have authors like uh, Christopher Rollins, others saying no, and don't tell me back because some of it has been spun like oh, it's because you reject the historicity that there that there really was an exodus, and and Rollins is saying no, that's uh, not Rollins, true. Rollins I, Rollins is a is a evangelical. Yeah, he says, I believe there was an exodus. I just think that you're—and you're, here, here's another problem. And, and, of course, we don't have the technology now to look at the graphics, but basically each of these Sinai inscriptions that Petrovich is decoding for us are very—they're they're not really easily legible by themselves. But what the, the images that they provide, he's taken a marker and shown it really clearly. So there's already an interpretive layer. But then there's the difficult letters. There, there's characters of a fish, for example— which, in my research, most scholars take that as a dalit for dog, because the word dog in Semitic language is fish. And so the duh is, the, is, is represented by the fish. Well, Petrovich says, no, it's a somic. He tells us it's an S sound, not a D sound. There are other areas, uh, letters, where you have the two lines. Some scholars take that as a, a, a consonant. Uh, Petrovich takes it as a double yod kind of thing. Um, another is the ion. There's an ion, which is an eye. You know, it's kind of an oval. Uh, and then there's a pay, a mouth. Pay is also an oval. And in some of the inscriptions, you discern the, the ion from the pay because the ion has an iris in it. It has, a, it has a circle inside the oval. Well, but then in some of the other inscriptions, where it's just an oval without the circle inside, Petrovich tells us, oh, this is an ion, not a pay. One other point. There's, there are two different chets. There's one that is the, he calls it the courtyard, you know, from the word for courtyard. In Hebrew, starts with a ch, so, and it's a little, it looks like a box with the little boxes inside of it. And then there's a chet that is a twisted wick. It's the little, uh, twisted little wick guy. And you'll see these if you look at the, you pause the, the YouTube video. Well, those represent two different phonemes. Uh, in, in Semitic languages. And so, for example, he, there's, in other words, there's more, when you see the letter chet, there's more than one phoneme that it can represent. And, and just to explain what that means, it's like the letter J. I'm in the, if I'm in the grocery store and I go and I'm going to get a, a jalapeno pepper, they spell it with a J. So I see the letter J, but I know that the letter J in, in my culture 
has more than one phoneme. It represents aha. And I have that knowledge that I understand, oh, this is jalapeno, not jalapeno, right? So in the same way, the letter het has more than one phoneme. But the phoneme that he said, but in ancient uh, Semitic languages, those phonemes had separate characters. Like there was a het for, for one phoneme and a slightly different character for a different phoneme. Um, anyway, this is getting into the weeds here. But I'm concerned, like the way he spells ahi, my brother, ahi samach, my brother samach, he uses the wrong, it's the wrong phoneme for the het. It should be the wick, the twisted wick character, and he uses, it's the one that's the box. So there's, aside from that, there's the dating issue. And uh, to me, it's, it's just way, it's just way too uh, sensational. Yeah, and when sensational. I read that, when I read the advertisements for it, and how they're pushing it, like world-shaking Bible discovery, you know, and all this kind of stuff. You know, we look back in history, you know, 99.999% of the headlines that have, you know, looked like that are really, well, r- really something that we should be aware of. What, what's concerning to me is that from what we've seen from the scholarly, scholarly world in this area, that is other Egyptologists, other uh, Semitic inscription specialists and, and whatnot, has not been a lot. Granted, it hasn't been a lot, but we've had two major scholars. Rolston uh, is is uh, leading the charge uh, in in you know he's he is a world class Egyptologist and and, and whatnot uh, in Semitic language. You know he he's he's done work in Semitic languages and whatnot. Uh, he he strongly opposes uh, Petrovich's uh, claims. There's others that have uh, also evangelicals, mind you. These aren't these aren't uh, you know atheist scholars. These are evangelical right. scholars who have said no. This is not right. Uh, that's that's very concerning uh, for for sure. What what I'm understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rob. What I'm understanding from Rolston's uh, work, I've and once again I've posted two articles that Rolston in our show notes. I've posted two articles that Rolston uh, wrote in response to Petrovich. And then um, also another scholar as well. What I'm understanding from him is that he's saying there is a possibility that there is that this might be uh, a early you know some some uh, uh, come from Canaanite, which would be the the mother of of the Semitic languages as a whole, but not Hebrew specifically. Am I right in that? I say it one more time. I'm sorry, I was typing. <laughs> no, that's okay. So, so what I'm understanding is that Rolston is saying that uh, that there is a possibility that these inscriptions might have a tie back to Canaanite as as the mother language of Semitic languages, but not Hebrew specifically. Is that am I right in that? Yeah. So that what again we have to discern the difference between language and script. So the what you had we already had there was some sort of Semitic language that seems, and this is why. Um, uh, you know, Petrovich wants to say that that they were Hebrews that were maybe working in these mines, or they were Can- they're called Canaanites. But we have uh, the language that they're using, and they're trying to express that language in writing, and they're they're drawing on pictographs that they've seen in hieroglyphics. But they're not using them as hieroglyphics. They're not using them in terms of Egyptian grammar or spelling or uh, any of that. What they do is they use the word of the picture of the head to to remind them of the sound er, right? Yeah, right. this Rish. is what we call an ABC degree. Right. 
So yeah. exactly. It's not a, it's not like they go head and then they give all the significance to the fact that there's a head there. No, it's just to remind them, Ruh. right? And they just put this together. So the script, the language is one thing. The script is another. So, um, that, and that's something we need to, to keep separate. And so that's why when we look at script then, and we, we start to talk about language, we talk about them both, especially once we have inscriptions that will say this, this inscription is Hebrew, this inscription is Phoenician, this inscription is Aramaic, this inscription is Edomite, this inscription is Ammonite, right? They're all, uh, they're all Semitic languages, for example, that are all going to have a similar word for king, Melech or Malach or something. They're going to share basic like vocabulary. But uh, what we have when we can compare inscriptions from different times and places, we can see how language and grammar and, and even spelling does start to uh, help us differentiate this group from that group. Um, and um, what Rollins wants to say is what Petrovich is doing, he's taking his later a later conception of what Hebrew is and imposing that on these early inscriptions when when there's nothing in the inscriptions themselves that is screaming Hebrew other than Petrovich wanting to find it there. Yeah. Yeah, right? and that's and that's so, the point is that yeah. he, it's he's he's using eisegesis with this. He he is looking for his own meaning. It seems to me that what he's doing is he's now, looking for his own meaning. Apparently he's apparently uh, Dr. Petrovich earned his uh, PhD from the University of Toronto, which is a an um, excellent top-notch school. Um, but this is not his dissertation topic. Yes, correct. My understanding is his dissertation topic is on a completely different thing. So um, I'm we're not questioning his competency in ancient Egyptian, which I think is his. Uh, if, if I understand it right, I think that's what his dissertation is. Has to do with. Uh, ancient Egypt, uh, uh, not not biblical, uh, the biblical world. Well, but I mean, I could, I, I, I could be wrong on that. Once again, I mean, I, I'm pretty much in the weeds on this for the simple reason that uh, you know this is certainly not my my focus of study. Uh, you know, I have to I have to rest on the shoulders of of uh, Egyptologists and and uh, people like yourself who understand the Semitic languages much much better than I do. Um, and and can can review these things and have some competency in them. For me, um, what I can do is I can say it seems very uh, fantastic of a claim that doesn't seem to be gaining traction with the people. It, it's gaining traction among people who don't understand any of this, just like myself. But it's not gaining traction among the people who have studied uh, Egyptology for quite some time uh, and who are the leading scholars in Egyptology. And in Semitic languages, that's what that's what I get. So for me, I would say uh, for those of you who have uh, who have been excited about this, just be very cautious. I would we will certainly keep our eyes on uh, the the what comes out in the scholarly world uh, to either respond or to even agree with Petrovich on what he's saying here. Um, however, I'm I'm not convinced. Okay, I think that's uh, that's about it. Anything else before we go? Um. Send your ideas for, for yeah. shirts into the Robin Caleb show. We've had some wonderful discussion in the chat room. If you're not a part of the chat room, I would highly suggest trying to make it. If you have if you're not at work or something like that, try to make it into the chat room. Um, anything else, Rob, before we go? Nope. Okay. We're good. 
So uh, don't forget to send your uh, your shirt ideas to seahag at torresource.com. They can be pictures. They can be uh, uh, just script. They can be whatever you want. Um, and also, please don't forget, send us, uh, uh, leave us a message on our hotline, 253-465-3205. That's 253-465-3205. A big thank you to everybody who was in our chat room today. The discussion was top-notch. Looks like there was a lot of different conversations actually going on about different things at the same time, which we love to see. Um, and uh, remember that uh, what we're trying to do is we're just trying to make sure that things hold up to a scholarly formula. And ultimately, what we really want to make sure things are doing are glorifying our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>